Charlton Schwab. I've been going here for my entire life, which is 18 years. Um, but one way I have really encountered um, Jesus Christ in my life happened just a couple days ago. I was leading small groups at my high school and we were talking about unity and loving each other in difficult times. And as I was in this Zoom call, you know, kind of facilitating questions and, you know, uh, having different prompts for other high school students to answer, um, this one guy, this one student, um, I felt the Lord just speak straight through him as if it was just for me, talking about not just how we need to identify unity and loving other people, but how we also need to learn and to identify what hate is and how to best conquer and combat that. And it really spoke to me in such a profound way and it had an effect on me even to this day, um, uh, about a week later. So. Don't you love seeing the next generation talk about their walk with the Lord? That was awesome. Yeah, parents right here. No, we got to call it out, right? Good job, parents. Dalton, great job. And I love what Damien said. Um, like Jesus, uh, we are called to be an intergenerational gathering, right? So I just, I, that, that, that kind of moved my heart. Good job, Dalton. Uh, well, welcome. Uh, good to see the band. Uh, excited about that. I'm excited about next week's message. February 14th, uh, and if Damien woke you up and said, oh yeah, Valentine's Day, okay, we just, you owe us, right? Okay, guys, you owe us. So get dialed in, and that message is really for everybody, because all of us encounter marriage, whether we're in one, we were in one, we might be in one, or the neighbors, the families, whatever, and so it's an amazing opportunity for us to come together and look at an important subject on a day that everybody's focused in on love. And so anyway, join us next week. Invite friends. We're going to have a chance at the end of the service to say a blessing over marriages that people want to be blessed. So it's going to be a great week. Well, we are in our series, Faces in the Crowd, and we're looking at encounters with Jesus and the people that were in the crowd and taking a look at those people, those faces, to see what we can learn from them and learn for us and about us. So will you turn to Luke chapter 7? Let me pray. You turn to Luke chapter 7 while I pray. Father God, we love you. It's good to be here. As we enter into your word, I pray that you'd speak to each of us individually. And you'd transform our hearts. Continue to make us new. Mature us, grow us. So our minds, our hearts, our ears are open to you now. This is your time. We step into it. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to start with a word. Accepted. Accepted. Tell me, when you hear that word, what feelings are woke up in you? What memories come out when you think of being accepted? Now, for many of us, that can wake up some great memories. For others, painful memories. I remember a moment when I was in middle school, and I had a, a moment of acceptance and rejection. I was in the seventh grade, 
And in my school, when you went to the seventh grade, it was the first time you were in uh, multiple classes during the day. Remember those? And so the whole school was together, and they included the eighth graders. It was a junior high school. And so we moved into that. I was in home ec class, and I grew up a poor kid, so I didn't have a lot of friends. I lived on a mountain. And so what typically happens for, you know, when you're rejected like that is when class projects happen, you're alone. So we were doing our first project in home ec, and it was to make milkshakes, right? So all the other kids had partners. I did not, and they were over at the stoves doing their thing. When they all finished, then I, I could go. There's room for me. So I went up there, and I began to make my milkshake. And all the kids had gone, so I love caramel, just so you know, right? And all the kids are gone, so I took the caramel, like, and I poured on top of that blender, man. I mean, there's about this much caramel. It was awesome. I was so excited. As I said, I grew up poor. Um, most of my childhood, we did not have electricity, so we didn't use blenders. Okay? Well, you, I know. So you, you, you know where this is going. <laughs> so uh, I get this. I was so excited about that caramel, man. It was mostly caramel. I hit blend. You know what it is? I forgot the lid. I was like, whoa, Carmel starts whipping around this place. All the kids start screaming. The teacher, Mrs. Fine, your classic home ec teacher, this little old lady goes running toward me. I'm like, ah, oh, freaking out. She finally basically dives in there, shuts off the blender, uh, and the class starts settling down. I'm able to clean up the caramel all around there, and she put the lid on, make my milkshake. As I'm walking back, um, to where I'm going to sit down, which, you know, because of the scenario, I've got to be in the back of the class. That's where only the seats are for those who are rejected. So I start making my way, and I walk by the cool kid's table. <laughs> Mark makes eye contact with me, one of the coolest kids in the school, right? He says, hey, you're funny. And he points, just sit down. And my social life changed forever. <laughs> it really did, right? Yeah, whoa, thank you, thank you. Sermon over. Right? No, just, <laughs> but it felt good to be accepted. But it hurt to be rejected. And this issue of acceptance is a problem in the church today. In this region we live, the greater Seattle area, we top the charts in two groups. The unchurched, those who have never gone to church, don't go to church, and the de-churched, those who used to go to church and no longer go to church, in the top five or seven in those categories in the entire country. And there's a similar reason they give why. They feel judged. They don't feel welcomed. They feel unaccepted. So they stay away. Now, this problem's not even new to our current culture. Jesus ran into the same problem. There is a group when Jesus walked this earth called the Pharisees. And most of his tensions as you go through the Gospels are with the Pharisees. Okay? And the Pharisees were one of three primary groups within the Jewish community. They are the, by far the most popular. 
And they longed for a better, greater Israel. And how they were going to get there is they were going to be strict adherents to the Jewish law so much that they got the Jewish oral law to go along with the Jewish written law and piety, holiness, righteous living was of the most important. In fact, they wanted a nation that rose above the priest as far as how pious and how holy they lived. They took it so far that they became judgmental, critical spirit, isolationist, rejecting people to a place that had no kingdom impact. In comes Jesus and says, there's a problem with this. You are missing the kingdom of God and what it's really about. You know, as I think about that tension, I'd say this, Christians, we are gathering that we believe in the Word of God. We believe in holiness. Things that you see the Pharisees say they believe in. We have to be careful that we don't become a contemporary Pharisee. So it's in this tension that Jesus is going to talk about acceptance. And he's going to do it at the dinner table. How many conversations, tough ones, have broken out at your dinner table? What happens here? So look at Luke 7. We'll start at verse 36 and go to verse 50. As you look at the table... One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of oil, ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A powerful story, one that many of us have probably heard. It starts with Jesus teaching in Galilee, and the Pharisees take notice of him. And one of them invites him to his house to come and sit at the table. And this was a custom for the people in high status that they would invite somebody who was, had something to say, was prominent, a star. And they'd invite them to their home for a meal. And after the meal, they'd sit at the table. They'd recline at the table. And here, um, they would lean on their left arm, on their side, with their feet out behind them, their right arm free to get the things at the table they needed, and they'd sit around this. And this table was filled with the halves of the culture to sit and talk and listen to whatever was going on. As I was thinking about this table in this moment, I was thinking, we need to get back to that custom. To sit, to talk, to listen, to ask questions, to respond. Because that was part of the Jewish culture, and they actually got it from the Greek culture. But the Pharisees' motives weren't all pure. So as they were reclining and Jesus was there and they were talking, someone broke protocol. Now, the rules of this engagement were they would usually meet in a home, a large home, and either there's a room that could be seen from what we call the street just outside, um, or there's a courtyard. And the men of the city could come and listen in. They could even speak in, in the conversation. But no woman was allowed, let alone the one that interrupted this dinner, a sinful woman. Most believe that she is a prostitute. Comes in and breaks protocol and comes and stands at Jesus' feet. So now, the scene at this table. You've got a Pharisee and his contemporaries, Jesus and this sinful woman, a woman of the city who's known to be a sinner. As she stands at Jesus' feet, and we look at the faces at the table, her face is filled with tears. She is a broken woman. And she stands there and they're talking. This is not just a, a tear streaming down the face. It's one of those deep 
sobs. A sob that comes from a place of deep hurt. Probably a lifelong hurt. It comes from shame. What it means to be ridiculed, unaccepted, an outcast. It comes from a place of a life filled with hopelessness. And she stands at the feet of someone that brings hope, that is the answer to this pain. And she makes a bold move. She just throws caution to the wind. Says, I don't care about your customs. I don't care about your culture right now. I care about Jesus. And something that Pastor Tommy uh, spoke to us last week. She leaned into her desperation. It moved her to break those barriers and come up and stand at Jesus' feet. And then she gave a beautiful expression. As she sobbed, so many tears that it soaked Jesus' feet. And we're going to find out later that his feet were not washed. Understanding the culture, it's an arid, dry culture. They just had these kind of light sandals just to cover the bottom. So they were callous, dirty, dry. Her tears flooded down, soaked his feet. She dropped to her knees. She broke protocol again, took her hair down, which is, women do not, did not do that. It was, it was sensual, it was intimate. You do not take your hair down in public. She took her hair down, washed his feet, bent down lower, and kissed these feet. She took that ointment. That alabaster jar of ointment. Ointment means expensive perfume. That perfume valued compared to date a year's salary. So I want you to take your salary, whatever it is. Average salary in this area is somewhere between fifty and fifty-five thousand dollars. Then she took fifty-five thousand dollars in a moment. And put it on his feet. In a moment. Everything she probably had in worth. And poured it on Jesus' feet. And this is an extravagant display of what she found. She found somebody that could heal. That could do miracles. That would receive her. That would accept her. In a culture that said no, only certain people belonged at this table. On her knees, she wept and she worshiped him. As we think about this, it really begs the question of my worship, of your worship. How extravagant is your worship? Is it $50,000 in a moment? kind of worship? Is it even close to that? 
This is what we're watching happen right in front of us. The table is filled with people gazing, watching this unfold. And the, the host, in his disgust, looks down at her, looks at Jesus, says, what kind of prophet is this? He's not a prophet. Because if he really heard from God, God spoke to him, he knew the word of God, he would know who's touching him, who's in his presence, and he would reject her because that's what holiness does. She doesn't belong. As you think about this, have you, have you ever had those feelings come across? Even in the slightest. It's like, no. They've done this. They're known as that. They're to this. They're to that. And you got that separation feeling. Pharisee. The name actually means separate. To be separate. And you see it on display right now. No, no. If you're going to be holy, you've got to separate from that. You wouldn't let her touch you. Because in Luke chapter 6, we find out what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to trap Jesus. Because they wanted to find something against him to try him and discredit him. You're not a prophet. She's unworthy. She's not accepted. What he was saying is, Jesus, if you were really a follower of God, you would not accept her. You would reject her. I was teaching a Bible study one time. Pretty large room of people. And I was teaching up in the front, much like this. The back door opened, and in walks a young lady and her boyfriend. The young lady had a bad reputation of being promiscuous. She walks in. Her boyfriend was a known meth addict and a thief. They walk into the back of the room. Everybody turns their head. The young girl just went through a very public, traumatic experience. So her name, her lifestyle was on the front of everybody's mind. I saw him walk in. I saw everybody turn around and look as they walked from the back toward an empty chair in the back row. And that's exactly what was happening in this moment at that table. Everybody stopped breathing for a moment as they watched this woman worship Jesus in front of them. And they thought exactly what the Pharisee did. She doesn't belong. And in that moment when I was teaching in front of that Bible study, Jesus' teaching that follows right here came across my mind. Because he used that tension in the air to teach about the acceptance at the table. So he, he picks up the Pharisee and his thoughts, and he actually gives us his name now. He says, hey, Simon, I've got something to say to you. I've got a word for you. Simon says, okay, yeah, you'll say it. And as Jesus often does, he gave a parable. He said, hey, there is a moneylender who lent 
out money. Think about $1,000 and about $100. I think it was about uh, no, $1,000 and $10,000 comparison value. It says, lends out money to two people. One, 10000 bucks. Other, 1000 Neither could repay. He cancels their debt. Jesus asked him this question. Who do you think will love more? How would you answer that? Right? He says, well, I suppose the one who is forgiven more. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. And what he's saying here as he goes into this part, knowing that he's saying you should reject him. If you know God, you should reject her. He's saying, of course I will accept her. Because for two reasons. She knows who I am. And she knows who she is. She came in, she discovered Jesus, probably heard about him, maybe heard him teach, possibly even encountered him before. She knew he was the only one that could save her, that can heal that brokenness, restore her. And she came to him. And in great extravagance, worshiped him, let her hair down, put $50,000 on his feet, kissed him. He said, you, Simon, here's what you did. When I came in, you didn't even wash my feet, which is a basic hospitality act of service. But she washed my feet with her tears and her hair. He says, you didn't even kiss me, which was a common greeting of, I'm glad you are here, and you kiss on the cheek. He says, she has not stopped kissing my feet since I got here. He says, you wouldn't give $10 for oil, which is a sign of respect, and you anoint someone's head with oil, and she poured out $50,000. Who loves me more? Who knows who I am, who God is, and what God will do, can do, is promised to do? Who? Right? Of course I will accept her because she knows who I am and she knows who she is. She is broken. She's a sinner. And there's only one that can save her, and it's this Jesus of Nazareth. She pours herself out to him. Leans in to her desperation and extravagantly worships him. Jesus gives us the basis of his acceptance. It's based on his mission and it's based on her identity. See, his mission, he tells us in Luke 19, Pharisees are mad at him for eating with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Many of you know the story, the short guy. <laughs> They're out there like, what's he doing eating with sinners? Jesus comes out and says, my mission 
is to seek and save the lost. That's what I've come. The Father sent me to seek and save the lost and to understand what it means by lost. It doesn't mean the dumb, the irrational. Think of it in terms of this. If you're a parent, if you've ever lost your child, like in a store, in a mall, unfortunately I've done that a time or two, right? Um, that stories I'll tell you, I'll tell you later about. But that feeling, here's what you're feeling in that moment. They are not where protection is. Something can hurt them. I've got a better plan for them. I've got protection to offer them. They're lost. They need to be with me. And you desperately, and you'd give your life to find them. Seek and save the lost. It's Jesus' mission. Those that recognize that they're lost and don't have it all figured out. He says in Luke chapter 5, he calls another tax collector. And the Pharisees are grouped up outside again. He goes to dinner. What's he doing with these sinners? Jesus says, it's not the well that need a doctor. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those that are sick. I need saved. He says in 2 Peter 3.9 that he wishes that no one would perish because we have a disease that leads to death and it's called sin and everybody has it. Some recognize it, some don't. Some make the mistake of trying to do a balance. Well, you're more a sinner than I am. Scripture says, no, you broke any part of the law. You broke it all. You're a sinner. And the penalty is death. And Jesus came to save the sick. And he calls us into that. John 17, 18. As the Father sent Jesus, so he sends us. As he came to bridge the lost and the sick, to the Father, the loving arms of the Father, the salvation of Jesus, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. He called us into that to build bridges to those that understand that they need a Savior. You think about a bridge. See, a bridge is not a bridge until it connects to the other side. See some construction guys here, right? You can go halfway across that river. It's not a bridge yet, right? It might be one someday, but it's not one yet. It's not till it connects to the other side that it becomes a bridge. Jesus came on this earth. He connected to the other side. We're called to connect to the other side, to the brokenness, to hurt, the pain, like he did. Because it's on that bridge that is Jesus Christ is a path to salvation. And we can be bridged in real practical ways. I had a buddy of mine call me up to tell me a story. It was awesome. He was kind of a uh, mentor in a church, and he told me about this situation they had. Small church right across from the local high school. And their back door to their fellowship hall was behind the church. And every lunch, the uh, kids would come over and sit in the stairway there and smoke, eat their food, throw stuff there, 
you know, talk and language and stuff that, you know, church people don't really generally like to have around them, right? And you can hear it right outside the door. And so they were meeting. What are we going to do? One person says, hey, let's put a sign in there, no trespassing sign. Yeah, that's a good idea. Someone says, hey, let's call the cops. Okay, that's, that's probably a better idea. That'll get them out of there. And this little old lady in the back raises her hand. Yeah? What if we made them cookies? Cookies? Yes. And they looked around. You know, I, 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 we've all been in meetings like that. Oh, man, that really sounds like Jesus. <laughs> huh. Okay, so you can't, and you can't, I'm sure this old lady, I don't know who she was. You probably couldn't vote her down anyway, right? She's probably really the church boss, right? Uh, okay, cookies it is. So they started making cookies at lunch, these old ladies. And they opened that door. <laughs> and there's cookies on the table for the kids. They started trickling in one by one. And my buddy told me there's nothing short of a revival that took place because of that. Those kids would fill their every lunch. Tables full over time. Um, they started joining the youth group because of cookies. Cigarette butts stopped to get, weren't dumped anymore. All the swearing, cussing, and dirty talk that they were hearing through the door, guess what? Stopped. And kids started getting saved because they built a bridge. They're on the mission that Jesus was on and calls us to. So in that, Jesus' mission is a basis for his acceptance. Also, it is her identity, which is basis for his acceptance. She was welcome. She started a journey that started in faith. And that faith that he says saved you had her on a path to bump into Jesus' grace. He says, you are welcome. John 6 tells us, anyone who will come in faith, he will not drive away, John 6, 37. Whoever the Father sends to Jesus, he accepts. He is welcoming. We are welcomed in the arms in the kingdom of God. Do you feel welcome? And to really ask yourself that question, you got to dig deep. Don't blurt this out loud. What is the greatest regret, sin you ever had? Set with that for just a second. In that, do you feel welcomed? That's where you have to ask that question. Your identity, her identity is she is welcome. Jesus will always meet faith with grace. She is worthy. She knew it. Why could she drop $50,000 in a moment? I'm sure that was nothing compared to the worth she felt from him. Romans 5.8. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 12.2. He endured the pain of the cross for the joy that would be our salvation in his work. He went to the cross, shed his blood for us as sinners because of our worth. 
Because he wanted to restore us, to redeem us, to adopt us into the kingdom, to be with him forever. His work on the cross. Because we are the apple of his eye. He values us. Loves us. Do you feel worthy? Do you feel worthy? And lastly, what he says to her. He says, you are whole. He says, go in peace. Now, he's not sending her away. And peace means whole, complete, fully restored. What he's saying is be at peace. Live in peace. Everything you do, do in peace. I believe he says, stay right here at the table because you're accepted. Be at peace in this space. Forget those staring eyes. They don't get it. They love little because they don't know what I've done and will do for them. You, be at peace. Allow me to restore you to how I created you, whole, complete, at peace. He says, I will deal with sin and restore you to as I created you. Be accepted and do who God has you to be. Step into that change. And it takes faith. It'll be met with grace. So today I want to end with this. We're going to have a little extended time of worship. Because if we look at the story, you can't help but see your own story. My prayer over you is you would not be like Simon the Pharisee. That you would not look across at the woman but you look at the cross, the table at Jesus. He says, I am a sinner saved by grace. He went to the cross for me. He went to the cross for her. And the appropriate response is extravagant worship. Worship from my whole heart, from the deep place that I get it. I know who he is. I know the price he paid. I know how much he loved me. I know who I am. Redeemed, restored, adopted. All because of the work on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection for us. New life. $50,000 is nothing compared to what Jesus did. So I'm going to ask Josh to lead us. I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, Let's step in with our whole heart. Because we are accepted, not because we're perfect, but because he's perfect. And let's extravagantly worship him. I love you, North Shore.